Heavenly Father, we come before you today and ask that we would hear from your word as you speak to us through Ecclesiastes. May you speak to our hearts and may we take what you've given us and may we respond to your word today and throughout this week. May we apply it to our lives and may it transform us so that we can better live as a member of the kingdom of God. We ask this all in your son's name who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So one thing that uh, Megan and I have been realizing, or at least I've been realizing, is that we have a lot of stuff. You know, so we've been moving, so we've been planning, or uh, we've been packing, and I think we've been pretty intentional about the stuff that we do collect. So it's still amazing to me that we just have so much stuff. I mean, because we, we've, you know, we've moved into the parsonage, but we have a lot of things just kind of around in our apartment that we have to pick up this week and the next couple days. Like just, just things that we haven't known to, what to do with for a while, so they just kind of been sitting around. And now they're still just sitting around and we don't know what to do with them still. So we're kind of just stuck with them. Right? Do you know what I mean? Do you have these things in your house? I mean, eventually for some people you might have a drawer or you might have a, a box somewhere where you just put those things whenever you have them and you don't know what to do with them. And you just throw them in this drawer or you put them somewhere. Because you're like, well, I don't know if I want to get rid of this. I don't know where it came from, so maybe whoever's it is is going to look for it later. So you just keep it. When I think about that, it just makes me think about the, the amount of things that we have in our, in our society and really just the great wealth that we live in without even realizing it. We might not have as much wealth as you know, the, the owner of Amazon or the CEO of Amazon or... Um, what's his name? The guy from Microsoft. Can't even think now. Um, Bill Gates. We not, may not have as much money as Bill Gates or the guy from Tesla um, or any of the, the athletes that you can think about. But just because we don't have that much wealth doesn't mean that we don't have a wealth of things that we have in our life. And as we've been going through this Ecclesiastes sermon series has been going through this book, one of the things we've been challenged with a numerous amount of times is to consider, well, what is meaningful in life? What brings us profit or what gains profit? Or in the end, what actually leaves meaning? So what can you, like, what can you set out to do in life that will leave a profit at the end? And for a lot of people, that is wealth in our society. And it might not be lots of things. It might be that you have a nice inheritance to pass on to the next generation of your family. You might have a great estate, lots of land and maybe some different properties that you can pass on. A great 401k or some sort of retirement plan that you won't use all of that you have. You can leave with a legacy somewhere. And when we do this, we think, well, maybe this wealth 
is a way for our lives to have meaning after we are gone. But as we've been studying Ecclesiastes, time and time again, Coalette has challenged us to consider, well, maybe wealth, amongst many other things, doesn't actually bring us a lot of meaning. In the end, maybe we have to leave it behind, and it goes to people who we can't control sometimes, and sometimes it goes to an heir that might not use it the way we wished. And again now in chapter 6, Coalette explores wealth. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open to chapter 6. And that is um, page 577 in the Pew Bible. It's great to follow along because we are going to cover all of 6 and 7. So that's a lot of verses, so you might get lost unless you can follow along. So let's start with chapter 6, verse 1. This is how Colette opens this passage. He says, I have seen another evil under the sun, and it weighs heavily on mankind. God gives some people wealth, possessions, and honor, so that they lack nothing their hearts desire. But God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them, and strangers enjoy them instead. This is meaningless, a grievous evil. So even if people have been given wealth by God or possessions, or honor. It doesn't mean that those people are able to enjoy what they have. Remember last week we said that people who have wealth, no matter what, even if they are corrupted by it or they use it wisely, in the end they all have to leave it behind. So this week it offers a different observation That even though God might give people wealth as a gift, it doesn't mean that they're actually going to have the ability to enjoy it. Now what's interesting is at the end of chapter 5, when we talked about, again, those small things passages, if you remember, I talked about how it says in chapter 5, the very end, this is what I have observed to be good that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days that God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and to be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. So now he's making this connection. He's saying, so God gives wealth to some people and he gives them the ability to enjoy it. But there's other people he gives wealth to, and for whatever reason, they don't have the ability to enjoy it. So why does Colette say these two things that appear to be opposite right after one another? Why isn't it that not everyone who gets wealth is able to enjoy it? Now, it's hard actually to pinpoint why this is. And this is why Ecclesiastes becomes such a difficult book to read. But that difficulty and that confusion, that how come some people have wealth and they enjoy it and they just see it as a gift and other people don't enjoy it even though it has been a gift, that's sort of the point. Because for Colette, he's looking at life and he's trying to discover meaning And he's saying, you know what, I look and I see so many different circumstances. And it makes him think, 
well, maybe there really isn't any meaning. Maybe it all is just as he says at the end of verse 2. This is meaningless, a grievous evil. Maybe it's just that some people end up with one thing and other people end up with something else. And in the end, they all end up in the same place. When they're facing the end of their life. However they use their wealth. Now this theme, he continues in verse 3. Because he says, A man may have a hundred children and live many years. Yet no matter how long he lives, if he cannot enjoy his prosperity and does not receive proper burial, I say that a stillborn child is better than he. It comes without meaning, it departs in darkness, and in darkness its name is shrouded. Though it never saw the sun or knew anything, it, was more, it has more rest than does that man. Even if he lives a thousand years twice over but fails to enjoy his prosperity, do not all go to the same place. So he's brought us back to death. In this time, there is an heir to receive wealth, which he would think would be a good thing for Colette, because it means that at least you can pass it on. But he says, even if you have wealth to pass on, but you do not receive a proper burial, it's not going to matter. Now, for us, this doesn't make a lot of sense. Because we don't really think about proper burials or improper burials. I mean, it's an important thing to our society, but we don't really consider that the way that people in the ancient Near East did in the time when this was written. So in the time period when this was written, if your body did not receive a proper, proper burial, it was believed that your soul or your, your whatever went to the afterlife, whatever survived, was not able to rest. You were not able to rest, and you were forced to continue to roam the earth disembodied without anyone being able to see you without rest. So think about what Colette said so far throughout the book. He said that in the end, at least when you die, you're no longer in the meaningless cycles of life. He said numerous places, it's better not have been born than to live, but it's better to die than to live. And now he says this again. And what he's saying is, if you don't get a proper burial, when you die, you don't actually get to rest. You're forced to still be in this meaningless life. Just now, with less control and without any ability to bring yourself to rest. So this is another tragic conclusion because what he ends up doing is comparing someone who has lived to a stillborn baby. And this is one of those passages that when you read it in the Bible, you, just, you really don't know how to handle it. And I, to be honest with you, I don't know how to handle it either. And I, because um, when you read it, it doesn't seem like Coalette is taking seriously the circumstances of people who have been in that position. Because he says that the baby is, it comes without meaning, which is not true. It departs in darkness. In darkness, its name is shrouded. Though it never saw the sun or knew anything, it was more rest than does that man. 
But for a family who has lost a child in this way, or even had a miscarriage, it's not something that you take lightly. So what is Kola actually doing? I think he's emphatically trying to push us to consider life. Because I don't think he, he took lightly what he said about that. Think about all the tragedy, tragedy involved in losing a child like that. Now to say that that's better than for the child to have born and lived, for most people, they would say, oh, I don't think that's true. I would long for my child to be here with me. But I think it does force us to consider, do we sometimes feel that way? Do we sometimes feel like maybe it's just better to be dead? Because there's a lot of people who face suicide and choose that place in life. It's not an uncommon problem. Maybe some of you out there have felt this before. You felt something like maybe life is meaningless. Maybe there's no point to live. And for Colette, he says, you know what? You could have as much wealth as you want. But in the end, you have to face this reality that we all die and maybe life is meaningless and maybe, just maybe, it's better to have been a stillborn child and not to ever have to have lived. Maybe that is better. So for Coalette, again, the answer when we look for meaning, is it in wealth? And his answer is no. Because in the end, all humans are forced to realize that they're going to die. And he says, you know what, if you don't get a proper burial then you are going to be forced to continue on this life for until your life until your body is able to put at rest now for us as we don't believe that this is true and and I don't there's no theological reason to believe that if your body is not properly buried that you will be not be able to rest i don't think that's true um but that being said The point is still the same. Wealth is meaningless because in the end we are forced to leave it on earth after we die. Now Colette continues his theme if we go into verse 7. So if you want to follow along with chapter 6 verse 7, he says this. He says, everyone's toil is for their mouth, yet their appetite is never satisfied. What advantage have the wise over fools? What do the poor gain by knowing how to conduct themselves over, before others? Better that the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Whatever exists has already been named, and what humanity has been known, and what, huma- what humanity has, is, has been known. No one can contend with someone who is stronger. The more the words, the less the meaning. And how does that profit anyone? For who knows what is good for a person in life? During the few and meaningless days they pass through like a shadow, who can tell them what will happen under the sun after they are gone? 
So now Koelet's continuing. What he's doing is reflecting on all of our human experience. And what he's saying is we all have the same needs and we're all in the same boat. So no matter what you have, wealth or if you're poor, we all need to eat. And in the end, we can't escape the cycle of life. And this idea, again, of nothing new being created comes up again. Now, we've talked about this, this is the third time now, where there's nothing new under the sun. Now, the idea, again, isn't that we don't create new technology, but that our technology continues to seek to answer the same questions over and over again. Every generation tries to offer their answer to the challenges that we face as humans. And every generation, though they may offer a different answer, can't get it figured out. And what Cole is doing is he's making an important observation. And it's one that we also need to notice. How easy is it for us to consider ourselves important? How easy is it for us to consider that what we do is important for society and then maybe we compare what we do to other people and we say, well, what we do is more important. But while it's easy for us to fall into this trap, what Colette's observing is that we all, in the end, have the same needs. We're all human. And maybe the striving we do to try to create solutions and to make a difference, in the end, maybe it's just another answer that's been offered before in a different way. Maybe the work we've done will turn out to be meaningless. Now, that might be a little bit too far of a statement, because remember I've said before that even though this is what Ecclesiastes is, is saying, we need to consider how that actually fits with what we believe about God. Because in the end, there's going to be a resolve. But here in the middle, I think it is important for us to consider, do we try to make ourselves seem better than we actually are? And all I mean by that is, do we try to puff ourselves up and try to convince ourselves that we're more important than other people when maybe we're all in this same human boat together? Well, I think that's where Colette's pushing us. Because not only do our lives end in death, but we all have the same needs. And we never know if what we do really will be important. So what Kovalet's really doing is he's taking apart any chance we have of holding ourselves over other people. We're all in this life together. And it might just be that we're in this life together as meaningless. So, Colette again, is, and now this has been the theme every week. He digs us into this hole, and then we have to try to figure out a way to climb out. And in the last couple weeks, it's always been kind of the same answer. Eat, drink, and be merry. Enjoy your life. Enjoy the small things. But this week, there actually is a different answer. So if we take a look at chapter 7, verse 1, he continues by saying this. He says, A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. 
For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of the morning, but the heart of the fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. Extortion turns a wise person into a fool, and a bribe corrupts a the heart. The end of a matter is better than the, its beginning, and patience is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. So Colette opens this chapter with what is called better than phrases. But with these better-than phrases, he actually makes some pretty discouraging observations. He notices that it's better to have a good name or reputation than fine perfume. But then he says it's also better on the day of death than the day of birth. So the idea here is that perfume and life can spoil, but your name and death will not. He also notices that it is better to mourn than the party. He notices that it's better, that, that frustration is better than laughter. He notices that it's better to be rebuked by the wise than praised by the fool. He notices that even the best people can be corrupted by wealth and power. And he notices that the end of something is better than its beginning. And then he warns that we should not become angry easily. And finally, he warns against the idolization of the old days. When we think about how things used to be better back in the day, and now they're not as good as they used to be. If we could just get back to then, it would be better. So what Colette's actually doing is he's saying, he's like, look, these are the places that humans look for meaning. They look for meaning in things like perfume, Things you can buy and enjoy. They look for meaning in a party and in laughter and enjoyment. They look for party to be, they look, they look for praise by fools. And all this, the way to think about this today is when people would post something on social media and all they want is to get responses and likes. So if you don't do that, you don't understand. But for a lot of people, you post on Facebook, so you post something and then people can interact with it. And the idea is that you want lots of interaction because it means that lots of people are noticing what you're saying. This is what we do to find meaning. But Kowalet looks at this and he offers a rebuttal. Because he wants his readers to reassess, to resist the vices that the world puts out there. He wants us to consider what people turn to when life feels meaningless. And he wants us to say, well, maybe that isn't where we should turn. So while we might turn to possessions or pleasure, empty praise, power, something new, or something old to find better days, the reality is that all things are meaningless for Coalette. 
Now, it's not fun to hear this, but it's important for us to realize where we might actually turn in our lives to find meaning. But he doesn't end there. In verse 11, he continues. He says, Wisdom, like inheritance, is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter as money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom preserves those who have it. So now he's brought us back to wisdom. Wisdom was a theme from chapter 1. And he said it's better to have wisdom than folly, but then in the end, maybe wisdom's meaningless. But now he's ready to consider wisdom again. Because maybe it will bring meaning in life. And he continues in verse 13, he says, Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what has been crooked? What times are good? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future in this meaningless life of mine. I have seen both of these, the righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. Do not be over-righteous, neither by, be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked, and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever feels God, fears God will avoid all extremes. So this section doesn't really make sense with what Coletta just said. Because he goes from praising wisdom to questioning its value, and he also even questions the value of righteousness, and he questions God, the way that God acts in the world. But again, remember, when we read something like this in Ecclesiastes, it's important for us to weigh it against what we believe about God. Because sometimes Colette's theology might not actually fit ours. And because remember, remember, there's a frame editor, someone on the outside who has taken this and compiled it. And in the end, they're going to place Colette's words against their own and challenge us to consider the conclusion that they draw. But what I think Colette is doing is hedging his bet. He's not willing to invest anywhere fully. He doesn't want to go all in with anything. He doesn't want to go all in with wisdom. He doesn't want to go all in with righteousness. He's afraid to even go all in with God. He says, you know what, I look at life and I see these different things and I see how sometimes people live a righteous life and in the end they might get what they get and it might not be that great. He says, I see people living a wise life and they have the same results. So Kohelet doesn't want to push wisdom too far. He wants to have limits on where he invests his life. In 19, he continues, a verse, a chapter 17, verse 19. Wisdom makes one wise person more powerful than ten rulers in a city. Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. For you know in your heart that, you, that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I tested by wisdom, and I said, I am determined to be wise, but this was beyond me. Whatever exists is far off and most profound. Who can discover it? 
So I turn my mind to understand, to investigate and to search for wisdom into the, in the scheme of things, and to understand the stupidity of wickedness and the madness of folly. I find more bitter than death the woman who is a snare, whose heart is a trap, and whose hands are chains. The man who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner she will ensnare. Look, says the teacher, this is what I have discovered. Adding one thing to another to discover the scheme of things, while I am still searching, but not finding. I found one upright man among a thousand, but not one upright woman among them all. This only I have, have I found. God created mankind upright, but they have gone in search of many schemes. So who here is now lost? It's okay to say that. This is the kind of thing we read in the Bible when we get frustrated, and then we say, this is why I don't read the Bible. Right? It's okay to say that. Because I've, you know, gone to school to study these things, and these kind of passages are just hard to deal with. Because he goes from wisdom being good to wisdom maybe not being good, to now saying, well, wisdom makes one person, one wise person more powerful than ten rulers. So now wisdom's good again. But then all of a sudden, he talks about this woman who ensnares a man, and a wise man is able to avoid this woman. And an upright man can escape her trap. And then he basically implies that there's no good woman on earth. And that all women are out to ensnare men. At least I'm sure how that's how some person has applied this passage. And I'm going to be honest. I don't actually know how to handle this very well either. But what's important for us to, is to look beyond the details to the bigger picture. Because remember, Colette is hedging his bet. That's why he questioned wisdom after saying that it was worthy. And again, what he's doing is he's being weary of wisdom. Now, in the ancient Near East, which again is the time period in the, the region of the world and the time period when this was written, wisdom literature would speak about wisdom and they would persona, perfon, I gotta say this word correctly, personify it as a woman. So, personify just means that wisdom would be given a, a human character and human traits in the story. And wisdom was always female. So what I think Colette is actually doing here is he's telling us that wisdom, just like anything else, can be a trap if you're not careful. It can draw you in. But the wisest people don't let wisdom become a trap. I think the point is that we can't put all of our eggs in one basket. All things in life have a limit of usefulness before they become meaningless. And this is how Kola ends with chapter 8, verse 1. He says, Who is like the wise? Who knows the explanation of things? A person's wisdom brightens their face and changes 
its hard appearance. So again, Kulit has called into question the meaning in wealth. And he wonders why pursue wealth when we're all going to die. And he reminds us that we're all in the same boat in life. We're not better than anyone else. We have the same needs. And then he says we're not going to find meaning in the greatness of what we do. But he does say maybe, just maybe, there's a glimmer of hope in wisdom. But he does remember Hedge's bet and warn us not let wisdom become a trap like everyone else. So I think one way we could think about this is this is what Colette is saying. He's saying, he's saying, while wealth is worthless, wisdom is worthy. While wealth is worthless, wisdom is worthy. And that's a tongue twister if you're not careful. So, we're not to the end of the book, so I can't give us the conclusions we all want. That's, again, the theme. But I'll say a little bit about wisdom. Wisdom, I think, is connected to what we've been talking about with the small things. Because seeing the small things as God's glory and God's gift to us and ways for us to in encounter his glory and share his glory with other people, those small things, when we come to see them in that way, what we're actually doing is using wisdom to see the things of God. So in enjoying the fruits of our labor that God has blessed us with, and enjoying relationships, and in enjoying the things that we are able to buy with our hard work, It's important for us to remember that we enjoy these small things not for pleasure's sake, but because they give us a glimpse of God's glory. And remember, there's going to be resolution to all of this and a fuller picture at the end. But maybe just wisdom and being wise is learning to see how those small things point us to the meaning in life. Wisdom is about seeing the world the way it is. It's about seeing the small things as they are. Glimpses of God's glory. It's about seeing the things that the world sells us as meaningful as actually a lie. This doesn't mean that in the end, that the things that we serve are in themselves meaningful. But whenever we see those things through the eyes of the wisdom of God, we can see how maybe they offer meaning in the glory of God. So while, while wealth is worthless, wisdom is worthy. It's worthy when we, we begin to see through the wisdom of God the way the world really is. So what does this world look like? We've just got glimpses of it, and we have to wait until the end of Ecclesiastes to have some resolve. But maybe there's a little bit of worthiness in wisdom. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you as your people, and we ask that you would give us your wisdom to see the world the way it is, 
May we see the small things as gifts from you. May we see them as ways to enjoy relationships and to enjoy your love and your blessing. May we see the lies of the world as they are. May the wisdom that you've given us lead us in life. And may you continue to help us grow in this wisdom. May we continue to grow in the knowledge of you and to see how your world is made through your eyes. We ask this all in your son's name, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.